When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Tell It Abs It Is podcast is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Everyone's favorite time of year is right around the corner. College football season is almost here. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. You heard right, DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what, no strings attached. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the great promotions and daily odd boosts that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, and located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code THPN to get free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs, and we continue to soldier on through the worst month of the year. It is just about the middle of August. We are well past the point of hockey being played and really nowhere near hockey being played anytime soon, and at the point where free agency news, trade news, it's there. There's stuff happening, but very few and far between, and we're not even at the worst point yet. There's going to come a time probably later this month where everything just stops, and there's going to be nothing to talk about, but we're not quite there yet. There's still some news rolling in, some news points to talk about. With the Avalanche, again, 
nothing earth-shattering to talk about. Little bits of stuff here and there. Still plenty to talk about on this episode. No, no real news. Oscar Olausen signs his entry-level contract. That is our first-round pick from this last draft. Olausen will be coming to North America to play instead of returning to the Swedish Hockey League. And well, it's a, it's a pretty interesting development path for him. I'm interested to see where this goes and maybe if they see him as an option potentially sooner than they expected. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be in the NHL this year, not at all, probably not even next year, and realistically probably not even the year after that. But I do believe he's going to play in the OHL this year. Interesting to see how he stacks up in that league and eventually in the AHL. Definitely interested to see where they're going with this development path, development path for Olausen. Again, we've talked about him a little before. Doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world, a late first-round pick in a just an okay draft class that we just had a few weeks ago, but still some potential there. Not at all a bad pick. Read up a little more about him. I suspect he'll be in the NHL some point down the line, just again, like most draft picks that are not like in the immediate top five, don't really expect him to be here anytime soon, but they get him signed to the three-year entry-level deal. The Avalanche is 28th overall pick, six foot one, 180 pounds. Something to keep an eye on over the next few months as we start to develop him and hopefully bring him into the NHL sooner than later. But in terms of Avalanche news, uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> There's really nothing with the Avalanche going on. There's no real contracts to sign. I think my pipe dream of them signing another forward gets smaller and smaller every day, but there's always the chance we get closer to training camp for stuff like that. But my hopes are dwindling that it's going to be in the next few days or so. So this might be the roster we're stuck with until at least training camp. And I mean, it's not a bad one. I still would prefer another guy, but for Avalanche News, we are scraping the bottom of the barrel. And I, I know we're getting into the off season when I look through my YouTube watch history and it's just filled with old playoff highlights, overtime goals, old games. The one I've the one I've really zeroed in on in the last few days is the Avalanche's 2019 run. There's there's just a certain amount of magic to that run that I it's kind of hard to explain. I know they lost in the second round, but it just it had that feel to it. There was just no pressure starting with game 2. Like that that overtime goal from McKinnon in Calgary just I watched that on loop sometimes. That's how I can tell it's really getting into the offseason. I just boot up YouTube and then just before I know it, three hours have passed and I just watched like four years of playoff overtime highlights. Just I love that 2019 run so much. Just that game seven. They I that team deserved a better fate. They they had just about everything you wanted for a fun underdog story. They had all the talent they didn't have a ton of depth, but they just they kept going every single game. Even when they did lose to the Sharks, it was barely. They fell behind early in that game, and 
They just keep battling back every time. They get that late goal in the first period to make it a one-goal game. They get that early goal in the third period to make it a one-goal game. And, man, you just look at a bunch of, like, magic runs that have happened over the years, just across sports, and the Avalanche, they had that one. They had it with the trouncing of Calgary in the first round. That's pr- that's probably one of my favorite series to just go and rewatch because y- you can just skip right over game one. That's the, that's the great part about winning four in a row is that you can just draw the line at a certain point and just watch every game from there on. You can just start at game two and just pretend that game one never happened because it essentially didn't. We didn't even score a goal in that game. So when you watch the all avalanche playoff goals from 2019 there is there's no game one you can just act like it never existed in the first place it's just such a fun run to watch you get the the late tying goal in game two followed by the mckinnon breakaway goal that was preceded by the amazing grubauer save and then you just get that amazing game three where they trounce calgary in every way imaginable that's one of the biggest ass kickings i've seen in the playoffs in a in a while. I know there have been some big like blowout games in the playoffs, but that was just like Calgary didn't really seem to know what was going on at any point. I still don't have much of an explanation as to why Calgary just didn't show up for that game. But game four of that series, especially the third period, that's such a fun game. That late tying goal from Rantanen and yet we just had so much control that overtime and eventually the winner from Ranton. And there's just so much energy in that building. And even in these last playoffs against St. Louis and Vegas, it was great to have fans back. But it's just that that little extra level of noise just wasn't there because they're just the it, you can see the difference when you watch these games back to back. Like you compare the the Rantanen overtime winner against Calgary in 2019 to the Ranton and overtime winner against Vegas last season. You pay, it's just there's a little something missing from the Vegas one. It's just that little bit of energy, just that little bit of the roof blowing off of the building in that Calgary game. That that playoff run is just so fun. For some I'm I love game 6 against the Sharks the most. That's I think that's honestly one of my favorite games of all time. I've I've never been so just glued to my seat during a game I don't think from the first period to the the overtime winner I think I barely moved during that game at all I was so immersed it was such a fun game the Landeskog winner is just burned into my mind such a fun run and just they just fell short in that game seven just like just imagine how different things would be even even if they get destroyed by St. Louis in the conference final just we don't have this narrative about the second round. Again, I'm not going to go on this rant again, but I don't know why that San Jose loss gets lumped in with Dallas and Vegas when it comes to second round exits. But we would have made it to the conference final. There would have been no like axe hanging over our heads about the second round right now or even last year because apparently there was one last year against Vegas for some reason. But I mean, you never know what can happen at that point. I mean, St. Louis took care of the Sharks pretty handily once that series uh, shifted to St. Louis. Well, they were down 2-1, but once the Sharks were up 2-1 in that series, it was the Blues series the entire way. The last three games of that series weren't close, but you never know what can happen at that point. I mean, that would have been a fun series, wouldn't it? 
but the the season before you had game 82 of Colorado and St. Louis, another one of my favorite games of all time, by the way. I mean, that's got to be just about everyone's like top five favorite games of all time. That like you you get the playoffs every year. No, you know, and for for us now, we we're going to get the playoffs pretty much every year for a while. You you will probably rarely ever see again a win or go home game 82. You might you might have that like for one team in a game 82, you win and you're in. When have you had it for both teams in the final game of the season? That is just like a like a once every five years kind of game. Like I'm trying to think of other ones that have happened. I know the the Rangers and the Flyers, the the famous like shootout to decide who goes to the playoffs. That was 2010. Yeah, that was 2010. That was when the Flyers went all the way to the final. Yeah, the the like the one time the Rangers missed the playoffs before 2018. They were they were on a huge playoff streak for a long time, but they had one year where they missed. And that was game 82 goes to a shootout against Philly. Winner of the shootout gets the the seven seed in the playoffs. Flyers win it, and the Flyers go all the way to the Stanley Cup final. I can't remember if there was another one between that and the Avalanche and the Blues playing in game 82. But just the energy in that building in Colorado for that game 82, it's just, it's such a you can probably show that to anyone. If you if there's one game you can show anybody to make them an Avalanche fan, it has to be that game. You don't even have to know what's going on to feel the energy in that arena. I will never, ever forget that game and that empty net goal and everyone dogpiling towards the end of the game. Like, just what an, what an experience. I mean, we were pretty lucky those first two playoff years we had that incredible game 82 just that once in a lifetime kind of moment that you might never see like imagine being at that game I wasn't lucky enough to be at that game but imagine being at that game I mean you can go to a playoff game but like that's that's something special there's no guarantee that that'll ever happen again and and they and they won that game at home like this wasn't in St. Louis they won that game at home which it's just such an awesome game I can I can never get enough of it but anyway like we were so lucky those first few years the experiences that we had that game 82 against St. Louis even even though we ended up losing to Nashville it was a very respectable loss like game three against Nashville where we just trounced them especially in the first period that was fun that's a fun game to remember and yeah we lost the next two home games but then you go on to next year where pretty heavy underdogs against Calgary, who looks like a, a juggernaut at this point. You lose game one, you get that incredible winner from McKinnon in game two, that trouncing in game three from the Avs, and then the comeback overtime winner in game four. You finish it off on the road, the next series against San Jose. You only lose the the one game on home ice, and you win the next two, and the game six is... a incredible game the Sharks end up tying it kind of late and you get the winner from Landeskog on the McCarr shot just unbelievable and I even mentioned game three against Calgary McCarr scoring his first goal ever in his first ever game like 24 hours after playing in the national championship game like just 
two legendary runs and sucks that the the 2019 one ended in just so close against San Jose and then obviously you get to the next two years the next playoffs it's in Edmonton in a bubble you can only watch it on TV and the games were fun and trouncing Arizona was fun and it would have been fun forcing a game seven against Dallas, not losing that game seven, but there was there was no energy in the building. So, and then you go to next year, you trounce St. Louis pretty handily, and being the first two games against Vegas were fun. Uh, game five wasn't very fun, losing that game, but just next year is going to be a lot more fun having everyone back in the arena. Is everything kind of back to normal? Just. I don't even know how I got onto this topic, but I just, I love going back and watching old playoff highlights, OT goals, especially home ones. They just, they resonate with me for whatever reason. That 2019 run is just, is so special. And I hope we can top that sooner than later. But anyway, getting back on topic to today's episode. Honestly, I was, like I said, scraping the bottom of the barrel for things to talk about on this episode. When I came across uh, something pretty interesting from Dom LeCision's latest athletic article, at least one of them, talking about the best contracts in the NHL. And I clicked on this. Number one, Connor McDavid. I expect to see Nathan McKinnon probably in the top five. Interestingly enough, McKinnon is not even the top-rated avalanche on the the best contract, or at least according to Dom LeCision's model. That is actually Kale McCarr is has the second best contract in the NHL. He has the best surplus wins value or the second best surplus value in the NHL out of everybody. And McKinnon is actually in sixth. Now that makes a little sense. I mean, you have to consider, yes, McKinnon right now on his contract, it is the best one. But we're looking at the whole contract, and there's only two years of that one left, and McCarr has six left, and McDavid up in number one has five years left, and McDavid's just the best player in the world. He's worth pretty much whatever at that point. But the way Dom's model works with this is that it's not his opinion. This is like math. This is his model. He's looking at game score value added, and it's it's a, it's a lot to explain, but it's a very reliable system. Dom is very good at what he does, and this is all very reliable stuff. But Makar is ranked with the second best contract in the NHL, which is interesting considering he hasn't even signed it yet. And he also signed at what we assumed at the time was going to be market value. But his model absolutely loves Kale Makar. Now, for those who need a refresher, Kale Makar's contract was signed a few weeks ago at $9 million a year for six years. And the surplus value on that deal, according to Dom, is $44.2 million, meaning that Makar making market value would probably be paying him uh, $16 million a year. I mean, this thing loves Kale Makar. Makar is an analytical darling. And, and Dom goes on to explain this by saying that McCarr's new deal carries a pretty low annual average relative to what he's shown in his first two seasons in the league. The way he started his career, he looks like a generational defenseman, a player who may just change how we think about 
positions in hockey. Later, he says the model currently expects McCarr to be a four-win player for the life of his deal, an extremely high bar based on his age and first two seasons playing at that level. No other defender over the last decade has had a value that can that consistently high. So the model is either a little too high or McCarr is here to break the mold as the best defenseman of the generation. I was really surprised to see this. I didn't even really think McCarr's contract would even count yet, considering he hasn't even played a game under it yet. But Dom's model absolutely loves Kale McCarr. Now, game score value added is looking at McCarr could be adding an extra about four wins a season to the team, which is in, which is an insane amount. Like, if you take that at face value, you don't know, like, what I'm talking about. Four wins might not sound like a lot, but we're talking about just him alone adding, just his mere presence on the team adding four wins to it, which the average player is, like, zero or, like, 0.1, like the average replacement-level player. So even at $9 million per season, Kel McCarr's potential is so high that we could still be getting a steal on our third highest paid player. Oh, I'm sorry, second highest paid player on the team. I've In my head, I still do the thing where I just assume McKinnon is the highest paid player on the team. He's going to be, and eventually McCarr is going to be third. But right now, McCarr is the second highest paid player on the team and the seventh highest paid defenseman in the NHL. But it's worth noting again that this is not small praise the like the model has seen what Makar is doing so far and is projecting him to be a generational defenseman that completely annihilates a nine million dollar contract I mean I've talked about this contract before I think it's incredible it's no McKinnon at 6.3 million that allows you to build a juggernaut around him contract but as the cap keeps going up and as lesser defensemen get paid more than him, this contract is only going to age better and better. I mean, I've talked I've talked about this contract before on here, as soon as last episode, talking about how Makar, it's already a steal because of the Seth Jones signing and the Darnell Nurse signing and the Zach Wierenski signing and all these players that are already going to be making more money than Makar does. And he hasn't even played a single game with you. Imagine Makar like takes another step next year and wins a Norris next year. How much of a steal is this contract gonna look like then? Like it just it doesn't get any less absurd. I don't think it can really be understated, like just how special Kale Makar has the potential of being. Like Dom does not use the words like generational defenseman lightly. He is one of those people that does not call people superstars unless they like actually prove it. Like the word generational defenseman, especially from him, means that there's probably something here with that. And again, like you can't understate like the potential here with Makar. It seems like he's been around forever, but he's only been around for two regular seasons. He's only going into his third one next year. He hasn't even played 150 NHL games yet. I don't even remember how many games he's played. Is it, is it even 100? It's 101 plus 35 playoff games. 
there is still potential for serious growth here, and there are still some holes defensively in his game and consistency-wise that still need to be ironed out, but that's the thing. They are going to get ironed out. I feel like I gush about Makar like every other episode on this show, but again, it can't be understated like just how good this kid is and how much better he's even going to get. Like, we talk about him winning the Norris next season. Like, we're looking at a resume in three years that is going to be a Calder, Norris Trophy runner-up, and quite possibly Norris Trophy next season in his first three years. That's insane. You build you build a Hall of Fame resume based off of that, but... Makar's contract, I mean, we've talked about how it compares to other contracts in the league. It's already incredible, and it's only going to get better and better over time. I wouldn't, I didn't even think I would classify it as the second best contract in the league. I guess I never thought of it like that, but it's hard to argue with it. And McKinnon's contract down in sixth, in terms of like value right now, season to season of the deal. McKinnon does have the best contract in the league. McDavid is number one on the list, but McDavid still makes more than half of what McKinnon makes, and McKinnon is definitely not half the player that McDavid is, so I'd still say McKinnon has the better contract there, but the the reason this one is here is because McKinnon only has two years left on it, and if if this was signed yesterday, it would be all the way up at the top at being the best contract in the league and everyone else is miles below him. But because there's only two years left on it now and probably by next off season, there's going to be an extension for him. That's why this one's below number five. If we want to look at the other names on the list below McCarr, third is Brad Marchand. Fourth is Carter Verhage, who was an analytical darling last season and We'll see how that ages, but I think the model might be overrating him a little bit there. Leon Dreisaitl at number five, and below McKinnon at seventh, Shea Theodore, number eight, Austin Matthews. Number nine is the third avalanche on the list, Sam Gerrard. I have gushed about this deal plenty of times in the past, but... Even I forget about it sometimes, just how good this deal is. Gerrard... $5 million for six years for a guy who is probably on the top pair of most other defenses in the NHL. I mean, maybe not Tampa, but look around at just about every team in the NHL. Who wouldn't have Sam Girard as their number two defenseman, like Vegas and Tampa? And he's making $5 million for the next six seasons like the only teams that are consistently on this list are the avalanche and who else i just went right past in my mind just blank the bruins are on here too with marshawn and posternock but the avalanche they have they have their superstar mckinnon the future of their defense in mccarr and also another young core defenseman in sam gerard and Gerard has taken a lot of unnecessary heat for how he played against Vegas, and I really feel like now we've started to underrate him a bit, that, oh, he's small and he can't get it done. We're 
this guy is signed to one of the best contracts a defenseman can have in the league. It's not expiring anytime soon, and he's still only 23. He's going to grow. He's only going to get better, and he'll learn to be more physical in the playoffs for all the meatheads who think that, oh, he's just too small, and he'll get pushed around in the playoffs. He's 5'10", 170. You can't have that in the NHL. They need to trade him. They need to beef up. Like, there's there's really no explaining stuff like that to people like that. They're just going to be very pig-headed in their opinion sometimes. There's nothing you can say that'll actually convince them that small players can be effective. Like, it's not Gerard's fault they lost to Vegas. He didn't play well, but a lot of players didn't. They got beat by a good team at the end of the day, and he's young, and he's still growing, and he's still only going to get better. The fact that you have him and Makar on ridiculous contracts and Devontae's who analytically is even better than Sam Gerrard, and to have those guys as your three defensemen is a gift. And I, f- I feel like people are just now overlooking that because they lost a playoff series. In the second year of their realistic Stanley Cup window, they've yet to make it to the conference final, so their defense is too small, and it needs to get heavier. And what made them the best defense in the league last year needs to change. Like, like, even if they lose next year before the second round, you are, you do not touch Sam Gerrard or anyone on or any of the top three on this defense, especially not McCarr, especially not Taze, especially not Gerrard. Like, you just see all of the evidence that shows how good Sam Gerrard is, and he had a bad playoff series, so now everyone hates him or something. So I don't, I don't understand it, but... He's only going to continue to prove people wrong over time. You can be like Jared Spurgeon's 5'9, and no one looks at him like, whoa, man, you can't have that in the NHL. He's the captain of the friggin' wild. Like, give me a break, guys. But that's the end of the list for the Avalanche Pasternak at number 10, like I mentioned. And staying on the topic of Dom, I was reading through just a bunch of articles on The Athletic, and I get to uh, NHL offseason, which teams improved the most and the least. And I had a general idea of where the Avalanche were going to land, and unfortunately I was not surprised by it. They land 29th. According to the model that Dom made, they had the third worst offseason of any team in terms of wins added, losing 4.3 wins. And you just look over the list real quick. Coming into the Avalanche, Darcy Kemper, Ryan Murray, Darren Helm, Curtis McDermott, and going out, Philip Grubauer, Jonas Donskoy, Brandon Saad, Ryan Graves, Connor Timmins, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and Patrick Nemeth. And the only two teams, according to this, that had a worse offseason are the Carolina Hurricanes and the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> I mean... We're talking purely from wins added perspective. If you look at what the Coyotes are doing, I would actually argue they had the best offseason in terms of tearing it down to the last scrap and rebuilding this whole damn thing. But in terms of getting better for next season, oh oh yeah, they're absolutely at the bottom. But getting back to the Avalanche... When you, when you look at it purely from the numbers, which is what is happening here, this makes sense, especially when he points out that Darren Helm and Curtis McDermott, who we added, 
have negative values, McDermott especially. So those bring the the numbers down a little bit, the the minus 4.3 wins. And obviously you lose your starting goalie, you lose two guys in your top nine, your fourth defenseman and Timmons and Belmar Nemeth, they weren't, they're not assisting that total at all, but third worst offseason I think is a little harsh, but I understand where that's coming from from a numbers perspective. Immediately ahead of us is Nashville, who did not have a good offseason. I would definitely put them below us. Then the Rangers above Nashville, they did not have a good offseason. Like with the Avalanche, their offseason... Yes, they lost guys, and they're not going to be able to run back the same deep President's Trophy winning team that they won last season. However, when you look at the contracts that we had to sign, I mean, we were talking about the McCarr deal and how great that is, but you also have to consider that McCarr went from an entry-level deal of under a million dollars to nine million dollars, and that gets eventually difficult to fit into the equation you give Landeskog a raise and you have Grubauer taken out from under you and you gotta do some emergency trading for Darcy Kemper I mean there's nothing really that the Avalanche can do this offseason if they do actually sign someone or not to change that value at all it would be very minuscule but they do have the the room to do something if they'd like but again i'd say third worst is pretty harsh i think there's some teams that had much worse off seasons the avalanche they i think they kind of i don't know the word i'm looking for is they kind of got worse on schedule like this was kind of based on the salary cap and the way their contracts were structured, they were kind of supposed to get worse. And you lose Donskoy in expansion, Sod walks, our top six has a pretty sizable hole when it comes to the sixth guy there. And we're, we're going to talk about all of this extensively as the offseason goes on. I don't want to jump too far into it on this episode. I'm going to bring on guests and talk about it more as the offseason goes on and as we get closer to the season maybe by then we'll have answers but yeah I mean it wasn't a good offseason when you look at it when you look at the circumstances you can say it's passable but when you can when you compare each offseason in a vacuum which is what's going on here like you're comparing Colorado directly to another team not taking into account their circumstances it doesn't look very good but I think I think they did all right, considering. They got their big contracts done. They didn't lose Landeskog. They got Makar on a good deal. They had Grubauer stolen out from under them, but they, they got a guy I really like in Darcy Kemper. Murray, I think, is a good addition. Helm's a Belmar replacement. McDermott, I don't care about. And the team is still here. The important parts of this team are still here. And we'll see how all the pieces fit together when the season rolls around. But if you want to talk about stressful off-seasons, we can look in the Central Division to the Minnesota Wild, where Kirill Kaprizov has just signed a one-year, eight-figure deal, not with the Minnesota Wild, 
but CSKA Moscow. Now, he's not signing this directly to go play for them next season, but he has signed it worth at least $10 million for one year should a contract with the Wild not materialize. Um, this is getting very, very bad for Minnesota. I have never seen this happen before. We we see sometimes with Russian players and negotiations, like, oh, well, he'll go back home to Russia and play there. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, sure. Sure you will, bud. You're going to sign a contract in the NHL because that's big boy money, and you're going to continue to play here for the rest of your career, which is what happens 99% of the time. I've never actually seen a player go and sign an agreement with a Russian team should a contract not materialize. It's not the same as, like, I am playing with Moscow next season, but he has the option to, and it's not for a minuscule amount of money. That's $10 million. And it's, yeah, granted, it's a one-year deal, but that's an eight-figure contract. And if Minnesota's not giving him the contract that he wants, it's a solid alternative. You go home for a year, and I don't I don't know the rules of if Minnesota would still have his signing rights at that point if he goes to an, a Russian team. I think they do, but if they don't, uh, he's going to get whatever he wants when he decides to come back. Even if they do have it, they're going to have to give him whatever he wants. And I don't even, I don't, I'm not up to date on the KHL and their salary cap and if this is, they can even do this, if this is even legal, but this has just been a very strange situation to follow. They've had, like, according to, to Michael Russo, that, the Wild have offered Kaprizov a lot of money in these deals. They've offered long-term deals in the terms of eight to nine million dollars for seven years, and I, how is he not taking these? I don't understand. How much money does he think he's going to get on his neck? This is like the biggest betting on yourself I've ever seen. Apparently, they want like a shorter-term deal. The like a three-year deal like it's okay now i see why so unrestricted free agency if he signs a three-year deal he'll be an unrestricted free agent and at that point he's betting on himself probably being one of the highest paid players in the league at that point that is still a huge bet to make on yourself i mean you've got to have big brass ones and to, to turn down that kind of money, to stare down security and money, eight or nine million dollars for seven to eight years, players dream of that contract. To turn that down and bet on yourself on a three-year deal to walk yourself to unrestricted free agency and get a ridiculous amount of money on your next deal is the is like... The kind of betting on yourself I have never seen in hockey. And if he actually does that and gets that deal that walks him to free agency, I'd be a huge fan of that. That be that would be something absolutely worth watching for his entire tenure in Minnesota. And we'll see if he even comes back this year. I mean, this would be a, a death blow to the Wild. They finally get a guy to build around and he immediately fucks off back to Russia. That would be so, so incredible. I mean, just 
reading reading this line, the wild which began contract talk with contract talks with Kaprizov's agent in March have long had offers on the table for seven and eight year deals in the nine million dollar range. That would be by far the richest annual contract in franchise history. And this is for a guy that's played one season. Like, this sounds like Minnesota is, like, desperate. And I just don't get how you turn that down. That is essentially a maximum. Like, that's a Kale McCarr contract. And for a winger, it's just, that's unbelievable to me that he would turn that down and prefer to sign a shorter-term deal to really bet on himself. And if he does do that and bet on himself, he has my full support. Honestly, that would make for an amazing story. And it would, it would set the right example for some players that they don't have to stick with an entire team, their entire careers. If they want to, they, that's great. If they don't want to, they don't have to be like pressured into doing so. And Maybe there's a compromise here, like Russo says, like a mid-range deal for five or six years. Garen does not want to sign a three or fewer year deal because he can become a free agent in 2024, but I have never seen something like this before. I mean, with all the time it took to get Kaprizov over to Minnesota all those years, they finally do. He comes over, and he's every bit as good as advertised. They make the playoffs, and it's time to pay him his next contract, and he immediately fucks back off to Russia. Like, this this is such a fascinating relationship to follow here, and I, I want to know how this goes. Is Capri, Like, I could see this leaking over into the season. I, I've never seen, like, such a complicated negotiation before. Like you've seen it, you've seen it sometime. Like the Nylander stuff ended up carrying over into December a few years ago. But this could get very interesting. And if this gets bad enough, I want like would Kaprizov eventually get moved? Like if they just if this just gets so contentious, would they bite the bullet and like package him? Like this thought kind of just popped into my head. I don't know how realistic it is. But could this be like an Eichel piece? Kaprizov and other stuff for Eichel? I can't imagine Kaprizov would willingly choose to play in Buffalo over Russia just because it's Buffalo. Why would you want to do that to yourself? And I don't know if... I think Buffalo might know that too. I don't know if they would do that. But there is definitely a story here worth following. Like Like I want to talk to the the wild guys on here soon again but like their offseason isn't done they've still got Kaprizov and Fiala to sign and they've already said that they're just going to take Fiala to arbitration and man like I've I didn't I've never seen that either where the club announces that they are going to go to arbitration with Fiala like you see it all the time like this player has filed for arbitration but even if they do go to arbitration you usually don't see the team like announce it like they're not like are they not even going to talk to him like Minnesota has become like the has gone from the least interesting team in the NHL to one of the most interesting to watch like they were incredible to watch last year 
and their rise last year and going seven with Vegas. And now their offseason, to me, by far is the most interesting. I'd say even more interesting than like pre-expansion draft Seattle. I'm really interested to see what happens here. And Kaprizov has only played 55 games in the NHL. Like, I can't overstate just how mind-blowing that is to me, that a guy with 55 games is getting offered that kind of money and term and rejecting it. Like, that is unfathomable to me, just, just based on my prior experiences of negotiations in the NHL. Like, that, both sides of that are unbelievable like does does he end up on another team next season does he end up in russia does he just come back like does this carry over into december like the nylander stuff did a few years ago like this i don't think this is getting done anytime soon so i mean this this offseason has been great and it'll be fun to at least, like maybe have these carry over later into the offseason just so we have some stuff to talk about this and the Eichel stuff. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll end up being the same solution at the same time. I can't wait to see where both those go, especially especially the Eichel stuff too. I mean, it, it seemed like for it seemed like during the final the Eichel stuff was imminent like at any moment. And then it all fell apart and seemed like towards the draft Eichel is imminent. Is they're going to get another top 10 pick? And it didn't happen. They ended up getting it the 13th overall pick for Ristolainen. And before free agency, it was like, okay, Eichel's got to be imminent. Teams have got to know what they're doing during free agency. And that didn't happen. And then the, the the statement gets released by Eichel's agents. And you're like, okay, something's got to be coming soon. And nothing happens. Like, this dam has to break eventually. Like, are they are they going to carry Eichel over into the offseason? Or not the offseason, the training camp? This is the offseason. They're already doing that. But are they going to carry Eichel over into the season? Like, are they trying to follow the Matt Duchesne template where we just, we refuse to budge on Duchesne and we ended up getting the the King's Ransom that we ended up getting for him that brought us both Byram and Gerard in the same deal? I, there have been some strange rumors surrounding this, especially with, like, the Flames. Like, the rumor is, is that Vegas, Calgary, and Anaheim, I believe, are the three teams that are serious on Eichel, and Matthew Kachuk could be traded out of Calgary because he's pissed at them because they didn't stand up for him during this season. And But Buffalo doesn't want Kachuk because they don't think he's going to sign with them, so they're trying to get a third team. Like There are just some bonkers rumors surrounding this Eichel stuff. I hope something happens with that eventually. I mean, you can only talk about it for so long before it just becomes, all right, time to time to do something here. But the Kaprizov stuff is absolutely fascinating. And the Avalanche, we have nothing of the sort at the moment. I think our business is pretty much done unless we just sign some guys at some point. Pro- we'll probably end up being closer to training camp anyway, maybe a couple PTOs. But as of right now, pretty barren so gonna continue to work on some stuff behind the scenes get some interviews underway get some previews going for next season but as for today that's gonna do it for this edition of the teledabs it is podcast on the hockey podcast network i have been your host griffin youngs follow me on twitter at g youngs nhl and follow the show at teledabs it is thank you so much for tuning in and i will catch you all next time have a great week Thank you.